Welcome to Down the Garden Path Podcast. I'm your host, Joanne Shaw, and I'm kicking off this new season of Down the Garden Path Podcast by releasing some new episodes of vintage radio shows from my past. I know you're going to enjoy them, so stay tuned and have a listen. So that makes me very excited to introduce you to my guest this evening. Her name is Evelyn Haddon, and she's a national speaker and award-winning author of four garden books, including Beautiful No Mow Yards, 2012, and Hellstrip Gardening, which I have this gorgeous book sitting in front of me right now from 2014. Uh, Evelyn shares strategies to help people create and maintain comfortable, functional, nature-friendly landscapes with less or no lawn. She also founded the informational website lesslawn.com and is a founding member of the National Lawn Reform Coalition, as well as a partner at the lauded and provocative team blog Garden Rant. When she isn't gardening or writing about it, she devotes time to singing and songwriting, and she joins us live right now. Welcome, Evelyn. Well, thank you, Joanne. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So I have to give you a bit of background. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Garden Blogger Fling that happens. I yes. think it's, yes. I've been to one of them. Oh, excellent. Well, it was so fun. Yes, it was. I've been to two. And uh, this I went to the one that, so last year it was actually here in Toronto. So how could I miss that? That was the first <laughs> one. And this year I went to Minnesota. Uh, to the and so we were on. I think it was one of the first houses or first gardens to look at, and you know it was a lovely little backyard garden. There was a lot of us to try and fit into this lovely little backyard garden, but the front of the garden, the front, it was actually a studio, so it was kind of on a commercial space in down in this little uh, this little downtown area. Well, all of us gardeners were more were. I wouldn't say more. We were very impressed with the gardens that were between the sidewalk and the street all along this little street. And someone said, oh, it's a Hellstrip garden. And everybody else went, what's that? And so we all like we all discussed you. So I don't know if, you know, in July your ears were ringing, but we were all talking about, you know, the person. And I can't remember who it was that was raving about your book. And we were all raving about this garden and how tough these plants were and how they weren't on the tour so these people didn't like prep them for us (laughs) this just happened to be there so uh so yeah so that got me on my journey of researching this topic and uh and I'm very excited to have you joining us tonight because I think a lot of people I think uh getting rid of our grass especially at this drought that we've had and in uh, Ontario this past summer uh, people are looking at other options so Oh, that's a wonderful story, and I'm so pleased that you guys talked about health strips, and I think they are kind of new for a lot of people, but the Minneapolis area where I where I used to live when I was writing this book, I was actually living in the Minneapolis area, and they, they have a high concentration of health strip gardens compared to many spots in the country. Oh, wow. Well, that's a neat coincidence. So what is, yeah, so let's go, so I kind of know the basic, but what's your description of health strip gardening? Well, my broad uh, way of defining a health strip garden would be any kind of fragment of land that's cut off from the rest of your yard by a road or by a sidewalk or even by a fence or uh, the wall of a building. 
So mm. I, I think all of these uh, fragments share common characteristics and challenges, uh, even if they aren't in the front of your yard. Uh, they might be in the back uh, alongside the alley, or they might be um, beside your driveway, or they might be under the eaves mm -hmm. in a spot uh, next to your garage or whatever. But they all are tough little spaces, and they're, uh, another common thread is they're not really large enough uh, or situated in good enough sites to um, have a lawn uh, easily right. or to use a lawn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, or for a grass to grow. So I properly, I know I have one, I think we would classify it as that in that I have a, a corner house. So, you know, and it's all uh, the driveways on one side of the corner, the front doors on the other. And I have a large island bed in in that kind of corner that you know goes with the curve of the road but from that bed to the curb you know where the snow and the salt and all that stuff happens all winter that i've got yeah. about a three foot strip that and then all summer gets burnt to a crisp yeah so yeah. to me i that look at that tough. yeah so to me i look at that and i've been really struggling with what to do and uh and so i'm really again another reason to be excited so so yeah i think there's a lot of um <laughs> areas that takes a, take a lot of abuse, you know, winter and summer. Yeah, um, they kind of are at the more extreme ends. They're drier or they're hotter or mm -hmm. they're wetter or they're, you know, yeah. something about them is more extreme than maybe the rest of your yard. Maybe they're more compacted, uh, so they're tougher. Yeah, I think all of the above, out. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what attracted you to this type of gardening? Well, actually... Um, Timber Press came to me with the idea for this book about Hellstrip Gardens. and um, But as soon as they did mention that they would like to see me write a book on this topic, I, I had tons of ideas uh -huh. because I had been noticing this kind of place ever since I started gardening. But this kind of space, uh, either it jumps out because it's such a wasted area mm -hmm. um, because there's nothing in it, or if you do happen to see one that's really... Um, thriving, then it jumps out because it's so unique mm -hmm. and small and kind of a special, it, it has a specialness to it because it's so small and maybe it's confined by pavement or maybe it's just unexpectedly tall compared to the lawn all around. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they're noticeable. In my mind, they were really spaces I'd been noticing for a long time. Oh, that's neat. I have actually, uh, you know, over the years designed a couple of them. Um, and but those homeowners were kind of brave and forward thinking, you know, and yeah. uh, and they were really the initiate. I have to say they were the initiator, um, you know, in one case particular that comes to mind is um, they had a very small little patch there at that boulevard and they had the cable box and the bet like a phone box, you know, so they had. So yeah. she just wanted yeah. to like make it. And sometimes I find those are tricky because people plant things that I think draw attention to to the fact that you've got a cable box right. that you know right rather um, than distracting you from it or yes. they'll plant something and not realize this box has a door that has to be opened periodically yeah, yeah. so <laughs> so then they d don't avoid that yeah so that was my challenge and I, I think in that case I did succeed at it I, I've driven past to kind of catch, check on it but uh, so many other homeowners <laughs> are hesitant and even if I've done the front garden and I've gotten rid of the front lawn the, everybody's afraid to do the you know the boulevard go to the next step because it's quote-unquote you know city property and uh so okay yeah and that really varies depending on where you are mm -hmm. in the country but it certainly or in the 
I should say, in the continent when I'm talking to you. Yeah. But um, it it is sort of a semi-public space for sure. You might be in charge of most most of it, or you might hardly even have any control over it. Maybe mm-hmm. the city even comes out there and maintains trees or maintains a lawn out there. But uh, either way, you have some responsibility, but not all the control. Mm-hmm. So it is harder to know what to do. Right. And, and if your neighborhood doesn't have other health strip gardens, it can be uncomfortable to be the pioneer. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, but I think but it's worth you, these spread fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, once once you put a health strip garden in a neighborhood, they're so visible that other people can uh, see them and examine them closely, and they um, they get a lot of notice, and then they entice other people to try the same thing. I agree. I think I think Toronto downtown um, does have quite a bit. Again, the, you know the size, and I think the concrete. Um, you know, uh-huh. sur- surround uh-huh. and that the the challenges in growing grass these days. Um, so I think they are well, lucky enough. Um, but in the suburbs where I am, it is it is fairly new. But I really want it to catch on. I really do. Yeah, yeah. Well, those suburbs have other challenges. Mm-hmm. You know, runoff is often um, a tough thing for suburbs. Or maybe you have uh, large trees and. And you have a hard time figuring out what to plant underneath those. Or, you know, you have uh, lots of lawn but very little privacy. And so you maybe want a screen or something. So there are there are other things that that would prompt you to, to want some kind of uh, a garden out along the street, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's those are some really good points, especially um, under trees where people really struggle with what to grow. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. And I think and some I, some people um, think, oh, well, I couldn't do it in my zone. You know, there's no plants that are t- that tough. But when I look through your book, when I read through your book, your your book really covers a variety of states throughout uh, the U.S. And um, mm-hmm. so a variety of zones. So really, no matter where we are in North America, we should be able to, to do this, correct? Oh, I think that's true. And as, as you know from your Zone 5 area, and then as you know from visiting the Minneapolis area, which is Zone 4. Some parts of that are Zone 3B. Mm. Uh, and I've been up to Quebec City, and there are, there are lots of great little tiny gardens up there in the Hell Strips and the Vancouver area on the other coast. Um, it just depends uh, where you live. Uh, it sort of dictates what you might want to do that would succeed very well. If you're, if you're in California, for instance, you'd want to create a garden that's beautiful year-round if you could, but you might um, be okay with something that's dormant in the summer because that's the um, the toughest time of year mm-hmm. there, especially with the, the new realities of the droughts. But if you're, and if you're in a place that's um, covered with snow at the ground level for much of the winter, like uh, Minnesota is that way, and I assume Ontario mm-hmm. has that same thing, then you... Then you'd think about that when you're designing, and you wouldn't um, plant things that are going to be maybe uh, small shrubs that are easily crushed by large amounts of snow that are deposited by the plows. You know, so mm-hmm. you have to sort of think more about what would work here in this particular site and region. Yeah, um, and the other thing that I it's just hit me now too is the what is very common is the strip between two driveways in the suburbs. 
you know, often people don't know what to do. Oh, yeah. You know, there's like a then three you foot. Own half yeah. of mm-hmm. You own half uh-huh. of it. Or sometimes one, I know in my case, I guess I technically own half of it, but my neighbor has, he kind of claimed it before I moved in. So he kind of looks after that and we just have ornamental grasses that kind of separate our driveways. So he, you know, he's done a good job of that. And then I look. Those are great choices. Mm -hmm. And if you can get your neighbor to take care of it all, why not? And you can appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's worked out well, except he needs to divide them. And I, and I, and he looks at me guiltily every year and he's like, (laughs) he doesn't want to dig them out to divide them because they're gotten so big. So, uh, so yeah. They're tough to divide. Those roots can grow deep and thick. Yeah, they are. And they're, it's, it's getting full. So, uh, so that is definitely a challenge. But, uh, so yes, I lucked out from that way and that he looks after it uh but yeah i guess in in and i have a lot of clients that want to do something you know that want to claim that space and uh uh, uh or two neighbors together that don't want to you know they don't want to mow it and they don't want to plant anything huge because then the car doors hit it so uh so yeah Yeah, i think that's a big challenge and a and a low garden does make more sense uh, right alongside the driveway like that so then that restricts the plants but uh but again and then when you have another person that you're dealing with as well so closely, then you restrict them even further because you want both people to be able mm-hmm. to approve the plants. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you can still do it. Excellent, excellent. And what does, where does one start? Like what is your, um, you know, once we've made the decision, uh, do you, is it, the, I think the soil or is, where do you feel it's the best place to start? Um, <laughs> with these sites, I guess I, um, I think you're already ahead of most people because I think most people would tend to, to want to run out and buy the plants right away. So they'd immediately say, well, what do you plant first? Mm-hmm. And, um, you're asking a different question. So that shows that you understand there are all these challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, eight chapters of the Hellstrip Gardening book were devoted. I think you might have. Maybe you noticed yes. that they were eight of them were devoted to challenges. Yeah. So, I I think if you wanted to find find a good way to assess your site, get an overview of really um, what are the challenges here in this particular location, and pay attention to um, the soil and whether it's compacted. Um, it's also probably contaminated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you think about that. Uh, if you if you think about uh, if you have utilities running underneath the ground mm. or over yeah. head, think about that, mm-hmm. and as well as the boxes that you were talking about that might be right on the site. Uh, you also want to think about um, there are going to be uh, there's going to be traffic, foot traffic, paw traffic. Uh, <laughs> so you want to um, not lose sight of the fact that this is a, a in the public view and it's accessible to the public so you'd maybe address it in different ways than you would a, a private mm-hmm. garden um, so you kind of have to consider all those issues and then think of your own priorities what would you want out of this garden are you really are you wanting it to be kind of a friendly welcome to your house are you wanting it to have a little bit of uh, privacy screening are you wanting to extend your uh, wildlife habitat, Mm. your pollinators Mm -hmm. and birds. Um, So those are things to just start with before you think about uh, plants. And then you also want to think about access. Uh, If you are 
are looking alongside the street and cars are going to be parked there and people are going to want to get from the street to the sidewalk mm, yeah, or want to open point. their car doors like you mentioned mm-hmm. and, and uh, not have them run into a, a trunk of a shrub then you <laughs> need to think about those things when you plan but it's like when you design uh, have you designed a single color garden before it sort of restricts your yes yeah I've tried to do nice like an all white okay. garden or something you know yeah but, yeah uh, so what it does is, or, or it's the same as if you write poetry, it gives you a structure within which you have to be creative, but mm-hmm. it can be easier mm-hmm. in some ways because you're cutting out some of the many possibilities and you're narrowing it down. And so then you're choosing from the ones that are left. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, in a way, it makes it easier to make decisions mm-hmm. about what will work here and what won't, and that might be helpful mm-hmm. in a way if you're the kind of person who gets overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great point um, that it does. It restricts you so you don't, because there are so many choices that uh, mm-hmm. it can overwhelm people. And I know it's fun that you mentioned that about me not going right to the plants because I guess my little motto with my with my business has always been that great landscape start with a plan, right? And I, have a, I, I just don't understand yeah. because anybody who would like do a kitchen renovation would never get a sledgehammer out and and say this weekend we're going to start on the kitchen and sledgehammer their cupboards, but on the yeah, other hand, without, having, right, a plan, without yeah. having a plan, they would absolutely have a plan first. But in the garden and outside, you know, it's completely different. They're like they just get out the shovel, right? <laughs> and they start digging. <laughs> so, uh, so well, I'm all, it's so it's so much play. It's so fun. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to. Re- keep ourselves restrained enough <laughs> that we can plan when we're just wanting to be out there. I understand that. Yeah. But it will lead to a lot more fulfillment later and uh, a lot less frustration. Uh, you know, planting the wrong thing is easier in a house trip. Mm. Planting, planting a design without having good preparation is easier, and so then it's easier to fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think preparation because they are such it's such a tough area. Preparation is key, you know. So the plants, because you know, I, I guess the plants are in the way. Still, the easy part because you you it's a smaller, typically probably a smaller area. So you're needing less quant less for quantity of plants than let's mm-hmm. say you know a whole front yard type of thing. So really, I think. Um, and I think, and I'm totally being selfish and thinking about that strip at my house. And I know how dry and how, you know, crabgrass and how tough that area is that I think, and that's what's held me back is because it's going to make, be a lot of work to make that good before I can plant. Like the planting's the easy part, really. Well, um, there's a slippery slope there. No, oh, is there? Okay. <laughs> think about, um, yes, because if you think about, um, many, uh, gardeners uh, traditionally want to take a site and change it so that they can grow um, a wide variety of plants there and kind of pampered plants, you know, the plants that you'd get at a garden center, Mm -hmm. the plants that are really um, a little bit more unusual and unique. And and for plant lovers, those are the things that they're growing the garden for. But, But out in a health strip, it's a little bit different. And uh, you wouldn't necessarily want to spend a lot of money and time, you know, renovating the soil, mm. uh, doing things like okay. um, at, uh, digging it all up and fluffing it and adding a lot of um, nutrients to it or whatever. Really what it would what be better to spend your effort on is just getting that 
soil covered, finding plants that work within the conditions that are already there, if you can, because uh, given that it's semi-public and uh, it probably has easements on it, it's likely that utility companies will one day have to come in there, mm-hmm. maybe dig it up, maybe the, uh, maybe a bus will run over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's near the road, maybe somebody's um, you know, tree will fall on it, maybe the car will crash into I don't know. Uh, there's so many things. A horde of school children will trample it. Mm-hmm. You know, you have all these mm-hmm. things that are going to threaten um, anything out there. So I'd say, I'd say the preparation is also the mindset. Change the mindset to be this out here is not a place for uh, rare, unusual, or pampered plants mm-hmm. uh, or, or decorations, you know, mm-hmm. uh, really, really beautiful, expensive garden art or anything like that. It's right. a place for tough stuff right. that's going to maybe repair itself if it gets uh, trampled, that, um, that can really deal with compacted soil so you don't have to be going out there later uh, after the bulldozers have come, um, you know, or the snow plows, mm-hmm. and, and revamping that site yet again so those plants can live there. Okay. So, wow, so that's <laughs> great. You've given me permission to not have to go through all that work of making... Yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah. You don't. And, and, I mean, you can do a little bit of it, but it shouldn't be something that you spend a lot of resources on okay. because of its nature. Right. So the the one that um, kind of stood out to me in the book um, is the cardboard method, or new, and also mm-hmm. newspaper method that you mentioned. Um, I think I the website, yeah, the website mentioned the newspaper, and then the book I believe mentioned the cardboard. So can you? I mean, I'm nervous to do that, but um, can you describe <laughs> that for? I don't know. I, I don't oh. know. I don't know why I am. Um, I think. Okay. So why don't you describe that for us? Okay, well, I can see where if you haven't done it before, you might think maybe there's a right way and a wrong mm-hmm, way. Yes. But really, uh, it's a little more fluid than that. Uh, I mean, I think it's all about um, killing the lawn while building the soil. And that's what I love about that method is you're putting down materials that are not only going to smother the lawn, but they are also going to uh, biodegrade and add soil, new fresh topsoil uh, as they biodegrade, and then that lawn that they're going to kill is also going to add fresh topsoil, and that's uh, the key in my mind is that you're basically creating topsoil, and you're doing it um, more cheaply and easily than if you had to haul in a bunch of topsoil, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it's very valuable. As gardeners know, topsoil is really valuable, yeah. so that's what you're doing with that method. You can pile on, uh, you know, depends on your site, and, and many of my answers start with it depends <laughs> because everybody's site and region are different, right? Yeah. So um, you can start with cardboard or you can start with several layers of newspaper, and I would think about making the new, uh, newspaper layers as thick as a piece of cardboard in okay. your mind. Okay. Um, overlap all those paper products so that they cover uh, the soil and don't allow any gaps for uh, plants to grow up through because dandelions, you know, tap-rooted plants like that, tough plants like that, uh, creeping charlie will will often be able to grow up through those layers um, depending, again, on your site and how quickly things deteriorate. 
Then on top of the newspapers or cardboard, you would put um, probably a layer of wood chips would be the um, best out on, uh, depending, again, how much wind your site is subject to. Those will hold it down a little more firmly. But you could also maybe use leaves if you um, put a little fence around them and keep them in place or wet them down or whatever. Um, Really, you're just adding a layer of um, material on top that's going to be um, keeping that... uh, cardboard or newspaper pressed against the soil and maybe holding in some moisture and uh, um, looking nicer than a layer of cardboard might for yes. the neighbors. Yeah, so it can be mulch. <laughs> it, it doesn't have to be soil. Like we're not adding soil on top? No, I wouldn't add soil on top. I, I think one of the main things I think is important is not to have bare soil out on those health strips uh-huh. because they're subject to so much runoff and wind erosion that um, the soil that's out there needs to be protected with a layer of um, plants, ideally, a low Mm -hmm. layer of plants or um, a layer of um, wood chips or some other kind of mulch. Um, So I guess if you wanted to put down your layer of cardboard and then your layer of soil and then sow seeds right away, of some kind of a cover crop, okay. you can do that, okay. and that might work really yeah. well. Uh, and then once the roots of the cover crop get down far enough to um, to want to penetrate into what used to be the top of the soil, uh, hopefully your cardboard will be biodegrading by then, and the roots can just go down through it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, would you need to keep the cardboard wet, like keep that mulch and cardboard wet? Well, um, I think uh, when you first when you first put your cardboard or mulch or down, mm-hmm. uh, start by cutting the grass really low and then um, watering really well, okay. and then you then you've kind of prepared that soil, right? And okay. and uh, it's gonna biodegrade quicker because it's got some moisture. Mm-hmm. So then you put your layer of paper and then you put your layer of mulch and if you put your mulch down or your soil down right on top of your paper, then uh, that'll hold it down. But if uh, if it's kind of a windy day, you might need to wet your paper mm-hmm. as you put it down mm-hmm. to keep it down. But that's mainly the only reason. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then if you sow seeds on top, of course, you'll want to keep them watered. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, uh, it's almost better to not water the top um, you know, if you've got a nice layer of mulch there and you're just waiting for everything to biodegrade, then, you know, seeds are going to be blowing around in the wind all the time and, and watering that top is just uh, going to uh, start them germinating. So keep it dry up there right. so that they don't take root. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point, too. Yeah, you don't want to start now, start a garden of weeds, right? On top start of your garden. New, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whole new problem. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, Joanne, I've also seen, I've also seen people use um, black plastic, and I know that mm-hmm. uh, many people don't like that, but if you are more pressed for time, uh, you can even see it now when you're walking through Minneapolis or here in Boise. People will have a strip of, of thick black plastic held down with rock or brick or something mm-hmm. in a neat way, and they'll just leave it there and let it um, uh, prepare the site for them. So that's a that's another way to do it, and it uh, is a quicker way. Right. With the cardboard and the mulch, you may be looking at 
uh, you might want to do it in the fall and wait over the winter and then plant that site again in the spring okay. uh, to give it time to decompose. Yeah. And I think for all of us here in the GTA, and that's a, that's a perfect thing to do. Like, this is a good time of year, mm-hmm. right? The weather's still okay oh, yeah. for us to do it. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then that we let it just sit all winter. And then in the right. spring, so things would start to be, you know, the cardboard would be decomposed by then. So then planting in right. that mulch in the spring, that's, that sounds about right? That's a good, yeah, that would be a good plan. And the one caveat there would be if you are doing this underneath mature trees, you want to make sure that they get their water. So you would definitely want to water before you smother, and you may even want to do um, a quarter to a half of the root zone at a time and leave the rest of it uncovered so that that tree can get its regular moisture. Okay. Yeah. So the alternative would be to water underneath, you know, pull up the cardboard periodically and just have right. a hose soak the ground underneath there periodically if you need to, depending yeah. again on how big your tree is and whether you're in a drought and all yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And that it brings a good point that uh, we I, I'll continue to uh, emphasize on the show as the importance to give um, trees uh, a good watering foundation before they head into winter particularly those conifers. Yes, yeah, yeah. How has your weather been? Have you had uh, the tough drought that we, we've had here? In, um, I, I well, guess I'm living in a summer dry climate, so I am just discovering. I've only been here a few years, but I'm just discovering what that means and pondering it. Um, so it's hard to define what drought would be. We don't normally get rain uh, during the summer, and we haven't had rain since, July, okay. so uh, it's not too different, but on the other hand, the groundwater is definitely um, receding. Um, people are using more water on lawns and things like that mm-hmm. here in the basically what's the high desert, so I feel like the water is becoming less available in that way. Right, and what about temperatures, like what are your average sum- summer day temperatures this past summer? We, uh, we have a... Well, it's a dry heat, as they say here, mm-hmm. but it does get up in the 90s and 100s, and we have had more uh, stretches in the 100s than I remember when I was growing up here uh, 30 years ago. Ah. Uh, we didn't have so many, but, yeah, it's definitely been a hot summer. Okay. Yeah, so then it's been <laughs> like us, too. So you've gone home, okay. have you, Is by going back? From I have. Home? I have moved back home. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> and now, But now you're gardening, so have, have you enjoyed... Uh, going from, you know, to a different climate to garden in? It's one yes, thing to move so there. Fun. Yeah, I'm discovering new plants, uh, you know, that I could not grow in Minnesota. I've been ordering from High Country Gardens catalog, which I, which I received for years in Minnesota, but would just have to drool over because I could never <laughs> find a spot that was dry enough for any of those plants. <laughs> now, now I'm filling my garden with them. Oh, well, and I'm, I have two more months of gardening uh, every year, Two right. or just two to three more because the the uh, winters are so much shorter. Yeah. So that's exciting. That's going to be exciting as well. And exhausting. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> we'll um, see how long I last. <laughs> no. So we do have one question from Teresa. Um, she's wondering uh-huh. where we could get where she could get your books. She's from Ohio. Oh, so you can go to the Timber Press website and buy it from the press, or you can go to Amazon and get it there. Uh, it's pretty widely available in bookstores. Excellent. 
good. Yeah, good. yeah I just thanks for to, asking. Yeah, thank you, <laughs> Teresa, for your question. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to the uh, the beautiful no mow yards because I think, you know, I am seeing the change with with a lot of clients that you know, especially with the drought. I mean, it sounds like the weather you're describing is kind of typical for for um, your area, Idaho and uh, Boise. But for here, we we normally wouldn't like we have pretty much had a drought since May. And we've had, oh, a, yeah, it, for us, it's, it's really been unusual. It has been hot and dry. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. we've had some like rainy, you know, rainy rainstorms, like harsh rainstorms where mm-hmm. because it's been so dry, though, the rain has come really quick and really hard. And then it's just completely yeah. run off. Right. It really hasn't made an impact in the gardens. So people have well, that been so many more challenges for sure. And uh, because now you have uh, you can't just turn to the plants that are drought tolerant. You, you've got to be careful to choose plants that would be okay if you got your regular weather, or they'd be okay if you got the drought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. How do you how do you choose plants that survive both? You have to turn more to generalists instead mm-hmm. of specialists, and and sort of narrows your choices. For sure, and but I think it just has also. I think you have much more options as far as plants go versus grass because I think we, you know, we have a. I know myself. We spend a I get so much winter damage in my lawn that I spend so much time and effort in the spring fixing, and then all, the summer drought or the summer conditions. You know, we're always putting all this energy onto something as insignificant, really, as grass. So I think more and more, yeah. um, you know, at least with plants and gardens, you have options, right? Oh, yeah, you are so preaching to the choir here. <laughs> this West Lawn thing has, uh, you know, had me obsessed since I first started gardening. And to me, it just, less Lawn means more life. That yeah. is the that mm. is the root of it all. And the thought that, um, you know, with converting a lawn to some other kind of garden, you can get, uh, you know, not only more color if you're into that, but more texture. You can get aromas. You can get, um, you get the vertical layering of the plants mm-hmm. so you can pack way more in there if mm-hmm. you're plant obsessed and um and then you get the wildlife which is one of the main reasons that i garden and and then uh not only that but you have a landscape that changes through the year mm-hmm. so it might be different in different seasons mm-hmm. which is so much more interesting mm-hmm. yeah. and as if all that weren't enough then you have the whole idea that a landscape that's not a lawn can evolve over the years and can grow more mature and more complex. And I really think um, that that's when we bond with the landscape. It's when it becomes more complex and when we tie ourselves to its changes and we note its uh, its different seasonalities and we really we really can get into it. The, the lawn, I don't know of many people who are really they might admire their lawn and how green it is, and they might use it once in a while, but mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know of any that have the same love for it that people have for other kinds of landscapes. No, I think that's true. I think it's a sense of accomplishment. Like, I think it's, you know, like having a clean, like, you know, the, the people that are out there cleaning, they're washing their car and then mowing their green grass. You know, it's just that sense of accomplishment. Yeah. But yet yeah. you go, they just, they would spend a few minutes admiring it and then they go back in the house kind of thing. So... You know, yeah, yeah. It, uh, but the people who have the other kinds of landscapes, boy, um, and the, this is one thing to me is it changes your whole lifestyle. It changes the way you can live in your place that you're living in. Mm-hmm. It changes the views from all your windows, 
It changes yeah. the uh, comfort you feel when you're spending time outdoors, and it changes the the things that you can do out there. Like I, I can wander through my garden, and one of my favorite things to do is graze. I pick things and I eat them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and another favorite thing is watching the bugs, you know, and the yeah. hummingbirds here are, are great. So just seeing what else is out there living and watching it is, is fascinating. Yeah. And I think the big thing to, I mean, you see if you agree with me, I think is the the maintenance part of it. I, I think, you know, maybe the first couple of years, it's a bit more maintenance, right? To get it going and waiting for the plants to fill in and making sure you've picked the right plants. But once it gets established, unlike a lawn that needs constant, you know, water, fertilizing, cutting, that type of thing, I think the, you know, the gardens do kind of just take care of themselves, right? So you are, have, you well, have more free, t- kind of free time versus, you know. I don't know. No, I, you don't I know? I have to say it depends. Okay. It, it depends. Now, there's several points about the gardens. I think the maintenance changes, certainly, mm. and you don't get that weekly demand of, I better go out and pay attention to the lawn because it needs water, it needs yeah. fertilizer, it needs mowing, it needs edging, whatever. Yeah. But you do get uh, maybe more concerted effort would be required maybe in the spring and the fall or, you know, you get a couple of points during the year at which you would maybe go out there and spend a little more time and do a little more. Like if you if you have sort of a prairie-ish planting, a mix of grasses and, and flowers, you might go out there in the early spring, say, March in Ontario or mm-hmm. February, and cut it all down. Yeah. And and that would be most of your maintenance. But it depends. It depends on what you try to grow out there. Mm-hmm. I guess I'd, I'd uh, advocate for people trying to grow things that can just kind of all take over that little area and happily fill it. So I, I generally tell people this is a place to put your plants that um, if, if it's edged by you know the road and the sidewalk already it's got a nice robust edge that can withstand creeping plants mm-hmm. that you wouldn't necessarily be able to put in with the rest of your plants maybe maybe that's the only place you can grow mint yes, or uh, yep. some of those other spreaders mm-hmm. that you might like mm-hmm. it might be kind of nice to have them and they fill up the bed for you, and then they keep out the weeds. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah, that's uh, it does depend what you put out there. But if you try and put some stuff out there that's going to, you know, uh, get trampled or is going to sort of fall over because it's such a skinny little bed, you know, and the plant uh, doesn't stay upright, then you're going to maybe create other work mm-hmm. for yourself. Yeah. Uh, so it's all, it's all about designing away those kinds of extra work that could come if you chose the plants properly um, yeah that would would make it happen okay um no i agree i think it does come back down to the the design and i and i know um if i'm gonna help a clients and and help uh, listeners design them then i i need to do some of my own research i guess and so it's gonna be good for me to, to uh <laughs> to do that my experiment on my uh my house strip and the the challenge though also is that it is because of the curve you know it might only be three feet wide but i don't know uh-huh. the circumference uh-huh. is is pretty big so uh, i could just see my husband's face when i order the mulch that to arrive <laughs> <laughs> but uh but we'll give it a shot we'll give it a shot yeah good um, that's good yeah. I, that's all you can do exactly I tell people, look around at what else is growing in your neighborhood, what else is growing in your yard, and use divisions of those mm-hmm. things and seedlings yeah. of those things. And, um, you know, 
be be more okay with commonly used plants than than you might be otherwise. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we get to be a little snobby about <laughs> oh I don't want more of that you right, know. Right. And and another thing I would I would say is they um, try some herbs. I think a lot of herbs are really tough and can adapt to a lot of different conditions. And many of them grow in really nice. Um, rounded shapes or or well-contained shapes. So, you know, you've got your lavenders and garden sage and thyme. Yeah, and chives. um, Those things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, chives is really good. So those are good. And then then one other thing is just um, maybe include what I call uh, ambassador plants. I think it's important if you're in a neighborhood that doesn't have a lot of other gardens out there on the health strip that people understand that it's a garden. And when bridge you can build for them is to put something familiar out there um, along with all your other native plants or whatever you're putting out there that's tough. Put, um, you know, some bearded iris or some purple coneflower or um, something that they will say, oh, yeah, I love that plant. And then they'll maybe be more likely to think of the other uh, plants as interesting and Uh, even if they're just mainly chosen for toughness. <laughs> right, right. Okay, no, that's a good point. So given that, that we can do this in any zone, for, um, my next question I know is going to be a tough one for you, in that what are your, I was going to ask you some of your plant recommendations, but I know that's challenging, right? Because from coast to coast, that's going to vary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you couldn't, you, you wouldn't pick the same plants for each, for every climate, for sure, but... But there are a lot of plants that really grow well in many parts of the country, and I guess those would be um, some good choices to start with, other than the ones that we've already talked about, Mm -hmm. um, I guess. And it depends on whether you have sun or shade. But I guess some of the common ones that that might be easy starts would be some of the ornamental grasses, whatever ornamental grasses grow well in your area that aren't too large those are really nice because even if they grow you know taller than some of the other plants they might be airy and easy to look through and they feel friendly they're nice to touch um so you know those are are kind of good ones and they add uh movement they're they're maybe going to be out there exposed to a breeze so something that moves like that is nice or maybe Mm -hmm. the sun will will hit them just right and those heads will glow so those are good starts. Um, something like lamb's ears that has really fuzzy leaves mm-hmm. is always a good one, too. Real mm-hmm. friendly, uh, mm-hmm. totally hardy and easy to, to grow. And, um, you know, even the kids will like petting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're in the shade, maybe things like lilies of the valley, hostas, pansies, wild geraniums, foxgloves, um, those are just... Beautiful, hardy plants that have sort of followed people along yeah. uh, for hundreds, if not mm-hmm. thousands of years. <laughs> um, so stuff like that. And, and, and stay away from the poisonous plants um, like castor bean and right. monkshood and yes. um, the ones that are going to have um, thorns or going to you know, smack people in the face as yeah. they walk by or drop large nuts on them. Yes, stuff like yeah. That. Yeah. Barbary's good. Life. Yeah. Barbary's good for that kind of area in the sense that it loves it tough, but then they are prickly. And then I find they're they a great uh, litter catcher though, too, so that everything that, you know, blows down the street <laughs> gets caught in your, your lovely Barbary. So yeah, that can be uh, 
God, that can be one like to a rethink. Good or bad, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Depending on how often you clean your barberry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One that I really like is blanket flower, and that grows really well in many parts of the country. Mm, okay. And and coreopsis is another one. There's so many varieties of it, but yeah. those two seem really tough for sunny areas. And and they flower, and they have nice, big, bright flowers that people like. Yeah. I was thinking about catmint. Uh, I wonder about catmint. Oh, Napata. I love it. Yeah. Love it. That's another good one that would de- just do well almost anywhere. Yeah. Um, and surprisingly, poppies are pretty drought tolerant and shade tolerant and all sorts of other things. And I've seen a lot of health strips that have poppies, both the, the kind that sort of um, the somniferum ones that grow straight up and, and get kind of tall, and then you would maybe pull them out uh, okay. after they self-sow. And the ornamental ones that are, the oriental ones oh, that okay. are lower and have the big red flowers. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of those, and they do really well on those mm. places. They're, and they're very and top-rooted, another, too, the oriental ones. Yeah, I know I know. I have a clump. Yeah. Why. You can't divide those or relocate those because they're so top-rooted. So they would yeah, really. But then they, they stay more drought-tolerant yeah. because of that. Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. So they would really uh, yeah. be a lower-maintenance plant. Wow, our time is And another is one that I'm growing now is uh, white gora. Um, that's a really nice one. I don't know if you guys grow that there. Here more as an um, annual, unfortunately. It doesn't seem to me. Oh, we, they do best. sell, they sometimes do sell it as a perennial, but it doesn't often, from my years of working at the nursery, it doesn't often make it through the winter, unfortunately. But and it uh, doesn't sell so probably no, either then. No, it doesn't. So. And the blue flax now is another one that I, I grew in Minnesota that it would, it would endure the winters, and it would self-sow a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, stay pretty low, um, but it's got a nice flower that can re-bloom mm-hmm. in the fall when it gets cooler, which yeah. is it's awful nice to think about stuff, um, you know, trying to create a garden that is interesting in many seasons, right. even in a small space like mm-hmm. that, maybe especially in a small space yeah. like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um so what are some of the common, I can't believe time's flying fast here, um, common I mistakes? <laughs> like, so, you know, have you seen people try this or are there, is there some words of advice um, or some? Yeah, I, I'd say um, one of the biggest mistakes people make is just it's probably many of the mistakes people make meaning that they create a garden that then it, uh, requires more work mm. or isn't, doesn't make them happy, mm-hmm. uh, is it they treat that garden like the rest of their garden when it's okay. really not. It's a different kind of site, and it has different um, considerations. So I'd say um, if you can pay attention to uh, things like um, do people need to walk across this? Do people need mm-hmm. to open their car doors? Do the utility companies need to get in here every once in a while? Um, are things going to hang over the sidewalk and impede people's progress, etc.? Are dogs going to be able to trample this easily? Mm-hmm. If you can pay attention to that and sort of work around all those things and keep them in mind, you're less likely to make most of the the mistakes that um, that would lead to being unhappy with your garden. And I think also, uh, you know, not spending too many resources on it, but really trying to make it self more self-sustaining. You know, getting out of the mode of I'm going to be the the gardener who cares for my plants and pampers them and gives them what they need. Mm-hmm. Be more about this is nature, and I'm going to unleash nature <laughs> in this site and let it go mm-hmm. uh, wild and let it really um, 
become healthy and and stay healthy on its own because I'm going to pick the right plants in the right community that can do that. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's I think what it is all about is having a little bit of a different mindset when you approach this kind of a garden. Right. Okay, that's a great advice. I think that is wonderful advice. Thank, Thank you. you. I think that that sums oh, it up. Fun talking. Yeah. <laughs> so what else? So do you have any? I mean, you've written two books in a few years. So or and you've written more before that. So are you working? Is there anything you'd like to share with us or that you can talk about? <laughs> I know sometimes it's well, a secret. I'm, <laughs> well, I'm I'm mostly what I'm doing now is I'm really throwing a lot of energy into creating my new garden. Mm. I am writing, but I'm writing uh, just. Um, every month I'm, I'm posting at Garden Rant, which is that um, teen blog that's out there uh, with uh, several different voices, and I'm one of them. Excellent. So um, that, is, that is mainly what I'm doing as far as the gardening writing goes. And, I'm, and then I'm uh, pouring some more energy into songwriting at this point. Oh, neat. <laughs> so I'm sort of, but I still have, uh, I'm still thinking and have many ideas for writing in the future, but nothing nothing to share right now. Oh, that's okay. That's <laughs> as okay. Far as gardening goes. Yeah, no, I do highly recommend. I mean, the book is be- like I think it's you've done a wonderful job at it being a beautiful book. The pictures are beautiful, the layout is beautiful, but also it's very um instructional. Like I really like that. I'm glad. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind glad. of a geeky that way, so I'm not sure if everybody, mm-hmm. but I think that's you've really uh, accomplished uh, that and I love your create a paradise between the sidewalk and the curb. So I think uh, I think <laughs> well, that's thank you. That was I great. think I think I do really appeal to thoughtful gardeners. If you if you want something that just says here's how you do it and um, you know don't bother to try to ask any questions or think consider all different ways. Then yeah. I'm probably not the writer for you. But if you want to learn about all the potential pitfalls and the all these different aspects to consider and not have somebody necessarily tell you what to do then Mm -hmm. I'm more of that approach Mm -hmm. yeah and I think it's good (laughs) I think you're going to be it's going to be good for me because it's been something I've been wanting to do and I've been uh, a bit chicken I mean it's you know cut myself some slack in the sense that because I do what I do for a living time in my own garden is a little bit challenging right so, oh, yeah. you know, because my, yeah. and that's where I'm thinking, okay, if I did it this fall when I'm not as busy and then if it's not ready mm-hmm. to plant first thing in the spring, that's okay because that's when I'm busy, busy. It'll and if busy. it, you know, yeah. it would be okay until I got to it, you know, later spring or beginning of summer yeah. type of thing. So that's, you know, kind of giving me like hope. Experiment. Yeah. 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 And, it's, a, uh, it's a place where you can just learn. And then uh, of course that's what you'll need to, to do in order to make the gardens for your clients. They know you have all different considerations about that and you'll want to understand what succeeds before you maybe put theirs in not experiment as much but right. in your own property for sure you can play and just see what grows and yeah. what doesn't and yeah no I'm looking forward to that because I think that I often try you know when they come out with a new hydrangea or a new plant I tend to kind of tuck one or two in my garden just just you know mm-hmm. see is it true and is it you know is it as good as they say and then mm-hmm. before I use them in my designs, you know, so, uh, so well, yeah. That would be a really great test of any plant, I think, is putting it in a health trip. Absolutely. <laughs> well, if it succeeds there, it'll succeed anywhere. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's a, a great alternative. And I think um, the more we talk about health strips and the more we make people, and, and even the, the less lawn, you know, doing the no mow uh-huh. and, and really promoting that. I found the website very practical. Uh, I was clicking on Thank all the you. little different terms and you've done, it's very uh-huh. instructional. So I, I definitely, uh, 
I think that I hope that's going well. Is that uh, how are you finding the reception? Oh, it gets a lot of hits. I have not uh, revamped it in a while, and I and I need to get out there and add more to it. But it's already got a lot there, and I'm um, I'm happy to leave it there and have it be sort of a place for people to discover all the different things you can do besides have a lawn and maybe sort of an intro to how you might go about figuring out what else you could have, mm-hmm. which is what the other book, um, Beautiful No More Yards, is about, too. Sort okay. of, I, I like to present all those possibilities because there are so many, you know, yeah. from patios and ponds to forests to um, prairie gardens to rain gardens. It, it's all just so much as possible yeah. instead of lawn. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Definitely. We had... Um, uh, a guest on just a couple weeks ago, um, Sean um, James was uh, in Ontario as a as a well known uh, speaker regarding uh, and designer and installer of rain gardens. So we learned uh, mm. my listeners and I learned lots more about that too. And it's great as a designer, you're always wanting to learn. There's always so much to learn, and yeah, um, and it's yeah. the best and way. Rain gardens are exciting. Yeah, and it's the best way for me to get the word out to clients, right, and kind of spread the mm-hmm. spread it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I really appreciate that you're you're spreading these ideas to people who maybe haven't haven't stumbled upon them otherwise. You know, how do we learn? Mm-hmm. We learn by um, just seeing the gardens that we're maybe walking past or driving past, but uh, or reading books or listening to the radio or finding websites like yours. To our, or we learn by you know hiring a designer and having that designer sort of coach us through things and help us figure out what we could do and maybe save us a lot of mistakes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. The right, I mean, it really is, uh, the low maintenance is, um, the right plant in the right spot, really. Cause if it's happy yeah. there, you know, yeah. if it's happy there and if it's been chosen to fit the space and, you know, if the maintenance that you do for it doesn't, um, you know, cause it to grow out of bounds or, you know, give it too much of a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I'm I uh thank you very much. I know our listeners can find you on Garden Rant. So it's gardenrant.com. Is that correct? Yes. 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 And if they want me personally, it's evelynhedden.com or leslawn.com is where uh they can find all those articles you were talking mm-hmm. about. So I'm out there. And Excellent. And you're on Twitter? Uh, <laughs> Twitter, I'm not very good at. It. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I'm just a new newbie bird, or whatever they call it. Yeah. <laughs> a baby bird, maybe. Are you a baby bird? A so baby bird. There That's you go. There you go. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah, we can point. still find you, and uh, and right. uh, if right. people have further questions and stuff, you're at leslawn dot Le- leslawn, right? At leslawn, I think is your tag. Mm-hmm. Evelyn at leslawn dot com. Excellent. That's right. Excellent. That's right. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining me tonight, and and I learned a lot, and I, I've been taking notes, and I'm going to continue oh, to cherish you. your book, and I'll uh, keep you posted on how I do with my uh, with my health strip. Um, yes, so. I would love to hear more about that, Excellent. Joanne. And it was a real pleasure to talk to you. Yes. Thanks so much. You you're welcome, and I hope we connect at another okay. Garden Bloggers fling at some point. So. Uh, yes, that would be great. That, I'll look forward to it. Yes, wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Evelyn. You have a lovely night. You too, and happy gardening. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Well, there you have it, everyone. I hope you enjoyed and learned a lot about that tough area of your yard. And, uh, and, um, 
you know, that boulevard is kind of tough, right? It is tough. And, and a lot of people, they don't know if they should do anything with mm-hmm. it. That's the problem all yeah. the time because you always hear the argument, well, we don't own that. Yes. That's the cities, yeah, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's so rare. I mean, it does happen that the city has to, you know, dig it up and, yeah. and do something there. But yeah. I think that's so rare. It is that, rare. Uh, compared to the, the amount of money you're putting on water and fertilizer and yeah. stuff. So I agree. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's uh, I think that term is kind of a fun term. And uh, I know the gardens we did see in, in Minneapolis were gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And uh, and like I said, they weren't babied at all um so Let nature I think, take its course yeah for sure for sure so i think i hope that gives uh some of you hope uh for something that you can do with a challenging area of your garden